Today, I just want to talk to you about what if you have a story to tell and everybody knows how it ends? What if you have a story to tell that pretty much people have heard before? But not only do they know the ending, but they're basing their life on that ending and perhaps their death at, on it. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the basic symbol of the church. It wasn't, they didn't have crosses. They used the resurrection. An open tomb was the first symbol used for Christian churches. So what do you highlight? What do you tell people that have heard the story but were not there? People that are not ex- going to experience it. I was thinking about one of my favorite movies, um, Gettysburg. And I like watching the four and a half hour director's cut extended edition because I'm just that crazy. And what's amazing about it is I know the Battle of Gettysburg. I've been to Gettysburg. But just to be able to, t- they tell the story in such a way, are they going to stop the South from taking the hill this time? Okay? They give you such details. Or you watch Apollo 13, you're like, I know they get back, but are they going to get back this time? Okay? They're, they're giving you details and all this stuff. You know the story, but he's, the, what these movies try to do and what these books try to do is give you insights into what's going on with the people. You know the end of the story. Jesus has told us the end of the story. In fact, what's interesting about this is the entire ministry of Jesus Christ, he has been saying what's going to happen. This is not a, uh, something that, you know, oh, didn't see this coming. It's in Mark 8.31, he says, he began to teach them, and he said, I will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And in case you didn't catch that, in Mark chapter 9, verse 9, he says, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had, been ri- had risen from the dead. See a theme here? Again, might have missed it, Mark 9.31. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Mark 10, 34, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. He's talking about himself. And after three days, he will rise. You know what the disciples were thinking at this time? Is he going to rise? He kept telling them. And maybe you've, I think we can all identify with this saying, I have told you how many times the same thing, and people still do it. I hear people talk about things that are going on in their life, and, and you know that it's the truth, or you, you know you should believe it, but you have trouble really believing it. And Mark is trying to make this uh, story here real. He doesn't want to sugarcoat it. The characters that are represented today are not, the names are not changed to protect them. There are people that have been told, that are going to be told on today that should know better, and you're going to say, oh, come on, didn't you see that coming? I mean, we've all read a book or seen a movie or something like that. You're like, don't go in there. It's bad, okay? Or don't go there. That's the wrong thing. Or don't be with that guy or that girl. They're the wrong one. Don't you see it's the other person? And, and, and this is, you're going to see this in Mark because he is going to tell you the truth. He's not going to sugarcoat it. In fact, one of the interesting things about the gospel story, too, is that we have four different representations of the gospel. We have four different accounts written on the gospel. And guess what? All of them have different points that they bring out about the same story. And so what they're trying to do is give us an understanding of what it means. What it means and how it looked to different people. So the first thing that Mark wants to do is tell us what our found out. The foundation of our faith is true. Our foundation of our faith. Let's start with Mark chapter 16. And we're going to do 1 through 8 today. 
This is the end of our series on Mark, and uh, this is the last uh, chapter. And it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So we see these ladies, and they have been introduced before. In in chapter 15, verse 40 and 41, it says that they were looking on from a distance when Jesus was crucified on the cross. It says in verses 46 to 47 that they were watching as he was put into his tomb and they saw the stone rolled up. They saw the, this whole thing. They are there for this, for, to see all of these things. Now here's the problem with Mark writing this. If you're going to write a story and you want to have good witnesses in the first century Judaism or Rome, you don't use women. It's a really bad idea because at this time, a woman could not testify in court. Her verdict, nobody would listen to her. And so, he sa- and so the fact that he is saying that three women are there, the three women are going to be the people that are going to be the basically stars of the story, is not a good way to des- describe this unless it actually happened that way. He's not trying to make it sound better. You know how you know, people want to look better than they do, or they, they, they want to say, you know, if there was a movie made about me, find somebody really good looking, way better looking than me, and make that person be the story of John Hubert with Brad Pitt. You know, hey. You know, it's just like, you, you know, you want to have that. Okay, but that's, that's not real then. Okay, I don't look, well, you know. But I'm just saying, Brad Pitt, I mean, I'm just saying, you wouldn't want to, you pick somebody like that. And so, he is going to say the honest truth. These are three ladies. And, he, and people are going, three ladies? That's not going to hold up. He goes, I don't care if it's going to hold up. It's the truth. These are the people that are there. And they had most, and most likely, it, we see in verse 40 and 41, and we see them back earlier. In 41 it says, they followed him in, Galis, in, in Galilee, and they ministered to him, and they were also among many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. In other words, they've been following Jesus for a while, so more than likely, they have heard the testimony that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Okay? So now we have the situation. We have women, they're unlikely, and they're there because they said they bought spices, and they're going to anoint Jesus because this is something that you do for a dead person. Okay? Jesus said, I'm going to rise again after three days. What's their reaction? We better go anoint him because he's dead. All right, that doesn't make, now now we made him look good because they're actually going, but now we make him look bad because didn't you hear the whole thing about Jesus going to rise from the dead? You don't have to anoint somebody who's not dead. Okay, basically at this time they did not have embalming. They used spices and oils to keep the person from kind of getting too ripe, if you will in the tomb so people could go visit them and it was also a sign of respect but they were doing this to do this so that they could go and say we're going to anoint him and honor him after he has died now because we know there's nothing else and then on the early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen they went to the tomb um, so they go there and it's recorded in all the attempts that they went on uh, all the gospels that they went on the first day of the week why this is important. Why did he have to say the first day of the week? Didn't they just say it was the day after Sabbath? Everybody knows Sabbath is Saturday. The day after Sabbath is Sunday. Why do they have to say the first day of the week? Every time they talk about the, 
uh, gospel resurrection, they use the term the first day of the week. Do you know why they do that? That's why we meet Sunday. People have asked over and over again, why do we meet Sunday? And he's going to say, for everybody who's reading this, just in case you're wondering, the first day of the week, oh, that's why we meet Sunday. So for the readers, he wanted you to catch that. He wants to say, that's why we're here today. We're not meeting on Saturday anymore. We're meeting on Sunday because this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So he wanted to say, this is the foundation of your faith. And then it gets kind of funny because here they are. They've gotten up early. They're those kind of people that get up early right there when the shop opens. They get spices. They do everything right. And then they're saying to one another, I could just hear this conversation. I don't know if Mark's just having some fun. He says, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? We don't have a plan. We're, we're going to anoint Jesus. Remember, they saw the stone rolled in front of him, and we know these stones at this time took multiple people to move, maybe one b- really big person, but more than likely a couple people, and these three ladies go, we didn't think this through. Again, Mark is not going to put points in there like this. He's not trying to give you this glorious story. He's trying to give you the truth. They didn't have a plan. They're so probably just distraught. Okay? And they said, we don't, really, don't have a plan. And looking up, it says, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. Now it's even more important. They're like, okay, now we see how big it is. And somebody moved it. Sweet. Okay? That's kind of the reaction we're getting right here. They just see that it's rolled away. They had no plan. I don't know if I ever saw that before, but they're just going with this. It's a humorous human touch to the story. Don't they sound like real people? Have you ever gone somewhere and not been prepared for it? Okay, let's go fishing on Lake Bemidji. Did anybody bring a boat? No. Okay, I mean, I've done this, I do this all the time. Okay, I'm, I'm planning on doing something, forget what I need to bring. I'm going to go fix something, forget that you need tools. Okay. I'm going to go do this, forget you need this. So there's all kinds of things. So there's human people. You get the impression that he's talking about people that aren't just, sometimes we think of Bible characters, they just walk around going, we're holy because we're in the Bible. No, they're human people that forget things. And they, it makes us feel like a more of a connection to them. It helps the drama. We're not told how it was rolled away. No, it doesn't tell us at this point just that it had been done. Verse 5 puts it this way. And now entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now here's what you need to understand. I've never been uh, to Israel. I, I know that there are tombs there you can still go into. The tomb, from what I've been told, you walk in and there's a chamber that you have to walk through, and then it gets into a dark area, and that's where the person's actually buried. So there's a, a chamber that's inside that you have to go through a tunnel to get to. So they go inside to see what's going on. There was an, and so then they meet this. It says, a young man was there dressed in white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, this is not just an in, uh, innocent bystander. This is somebody who is sitting there. Now, that doesn't make sense to us, but somebody who is sitting there in this time period, I would not be having an authoritative position right now. If I wanted to be in an authoritative position, I would be sitting here looking at you going, you must listen because I am sitting and looking at you. Okay, that was the time period. And then it said, he's wearing white. Now you say to yourself, so? He's inside an inside chamber and he's wearing white that they can see that it's white. 
And this is supposed to bring you back to Mark 9, 3. When Jesus was on the Mount, Tra- Mount of Transfiguration, it says that his clothes became so radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. That always sounds like a commercial to me. But it's just like, no one on earth could make it white like Jesus can make it white. But they're trying to say, and you as the reader are supposed to pick this up, this is somebody identified with Jesus because if he's glowing, basically, okay, this is like he's in there in a dark chamber glowing. He's probably providing the light in there. And what happens to them is he's sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I would be alarmed if I saw a glowing guy in a tomb. I'm not, uh, and no offense, okay? I, I, just you go into a dark tomb, what's it going on? Ah, glowing guy. Okay, so it's not picking them for that. Um, but the term here means a powerful mixture of shock and fear. I'm thinking more shock, okay? Who, why is there a glowing guy sitting here looking at us? Verse 6 is the truth that we need to get out of this and what Mark really wants us to get. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. <laughs> you ever tell somebody, don't be alarmed, but they don't listen? Okay, it's okay. They're not okay. They're still going. There's a glowing guy. The stone was rolled. There's no Jesus. What? Okay, so he's given that, don't be alarmed. This is perfectly normal that there would be a glowing guy in here. Okay? And then he says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I'm going to identify who it is. You seek Jesus, right? Jesus of Nazareth, just to make sure you understand that this is the same Jesus we're talking about. And then they get, he gives this point. Who was crucified? Just in case you didn't catch it, you came here to anoint a bloody, mangled corpse, didn't you? He goes right at it. He says to them, you came here. I know why you came here. You were coming here to show respect for something that you saw. I can't imagine what Jesus' body would have looked like after what they did to him. And after being stabbed in the heart and, and whipped almost to the point of death and beaten and hanging on a cross, they were expecting something. They said, he was crucified. Just so you know, the guy that was crucified, and he, and he goes on, is he's not here. And they were, he says, he, was, he is risen and he is not here. They had seen it, but everything is going to change by this term. He has risen. In fact, the Christian church has gone for many years for the Easter thing. When you say he has risen, you're supposed to respond, he has risen indeed. Because this is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. He is not here. That crucified mess that you saw on the cross, that horrible thing that happened to him, that terrible thing, the humiliation of degradation of Jesus, the fact that he was tortured for doing nothing. He was tortured for that. He now has risen from the dead and he is not here. He is now exalted on high. He is risen. He is the first person to rise from the dead and the only person to do that. You cannot visit the tomb of Jesus and see his body because it's not there. And he wants to let the people know this. He has conquered death. And not only that, this is not just one of those spiritual events. Now we say things like this. When somebody dies, what do we say? Well, we still have him here with us. He's here in our heart. Okay, we say that. His spirit is still among us. Okay, we say these things. We're trying to comfort people. 
But you see, this angelic visitor is saying, no, 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 not that kind. The crucified guy is not here. He is physically risen from the dead, and he is physically walking around, and you need to understand that he's alive. And this is the foundation of our faith today. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, we all wasted our time coming this morning. Paul just simply says it that way. We are fools. We should have stayed home. He had a good Easter buffet. I don't, they wouldn't have an Easter buffet if Jesus was rose from the dead. I don't know what we would call it. I don't know. Uh, just an April buffet. But, you know, we would have, it's, it's not worth coming. Because he is risen, it's worth coming. It's worth be changing your life and being baptized. It's worth everything. A foundation of our faith. Not only was he crucified for our sins, he conquered death. The reason that I can do funerals today I have done funerals for close family members, including my own grandmother. And people say, how can you do that? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I did a funeral for the body of my grandmother, knowing that my grandmother will rise with Jesus. Okay? Otherwise, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. That's not possible. But because he is risen, we have hope and a foundation for our faith. And he says, look, see the place where they laid him. Look, if you want to check, he's right over there. He's not, he's not there. He's gone. And he has a plan. The next thing we need to know is that we have grace from God. Because verse 7 is really going to hit. He says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the end. It's not the end of the story, it's the beginning. Because this is, the, the, uh, Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel. That's one of the first things he says in the beginning of Mark. And he is going to say it's going to continue on. And if you look at Mark 14, 28, it says, But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So the angel says the exact words that they were supposed to hear, kind of like the code word, the action signal is, we're on. Remember I told you I was going to meet you in Galilee? Again, not just a spiritual meeting. Not just, because people have tried to say this, this is the new thing, that Jesus is spiritually alive, but not physically alive. The Bible does not allow for that. It says the one who is crucified is not here, he is risen, and he's going to meet you in Galilee. He's going to meet you just like he said he was going to do. Now go and tell the disciples. What does this tell us? First of all, the disciples are still together, okay? But the disciples are not there. Again, the disciples were there for every one of those where Jesus was trying to be very clear. I can imagine Jesus, because you've, you've done this before if you've ever tried to teach or you're trying to help somebody. Now look at me. After three days, I'm going to rise again. Everybody got it? Speak. I, I, I can even see Jesus going, say it after me. I don't know if he did. I don't have proof of that. But as many times as he said it, you'd think he would say, oh, you guys. Uh, and when, even when he said, I'm going to be taken by the, the high priest and all that stuff, and they're going to kill me. And when he's killed, they all run away. Like, oh, we didn't see this coming. I told you. It's like people being shocked. People literally being shocked in January in Minnesota when it's cold. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say, hey, it's cold? Really? Shocked. How on earth did that ever happen in January in Minnesota? You know, it's, it's like it happens all the time. But 
we need to understand that this is, you know, the truth. And we need to understand that it is real. But they are still together, but as far as we can tell, they're not doing anything. Jesus still has something for them. Their scattering was temporary. Let's be honest. They abandoned Jesus, and they turned their backs on him. Okay? They said, I will not die with you. Remember they promised they would? Peter says, I know these other slouches aren't going to hold on to you, but I'm going to hold on. And, and Jesus goes, no, you're going to betray me three times. And just for the fact. And all of you are going to scatter. But right now, I'm going to let you know that I'm going to regather you. And we need to understand this today. You heard some testimonies from people today. And maybe you're here today and somebody drug you here and you said, I don't want to go. It's not want to. I used to be a Christian or I don't want to do this. Understand the fact, God never gives up on anybody. The grace of God is being extended right here. Jesus is not only saying, I love these, I love you guys, but I'm coming back to make you my disciples. He says, go and tell the disciples, I'm coming for them and we're going to get this going. I think that is the greatest expression of the grace of God. Because Jesus could have gone and said, let them know that I'm coming. And boy, are we going to have a talk. And we're going to go through every word that I said that you didn't listen to. And you're going to sit there and you're going to listen. And I'm going to tell you, and you're going to have to say, you're right, Jesus. You're right, Jesus. We're sorry. You're right, Jesus. We're sorry. You're right. And that's not Jesus' attitude. That's, that's our attitude, and it makes me feel bad about having that attitude. I sometimes are like that. Don't you, don't you love to be right and tell somebody how right you are? Don't nod. I mean, but you, some of us, honestly, we do. We have that inside of us. But Jesus could have just come down and said, okay, but he says, go and tell him. And you know, he even signals out Peter. Because remember what Peter did. Peter cursed Jesus. Peter cursed him. The thing that we are told in the first century that the emperors would use as a test to say that no true Christian would ever curse Jesus, Peter did that. And Jesus extends a hand through this call. The angel says, go and tell Peter, I'm coming. Tell Peter it's okay. Now we don't know if Peter is with the disciples at this time or Peter might have felt so ashamed he might have been off on his own that they might have to go find Peter. He might be so distraught they don't know what's going on. He doesn't know, I, I've, I've cursed Jesus, I'm done. Have you ever felt that way? I've sinned, Jesus doesn't love me anymore. I did this and it was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. No way God's going to love me after I did that. I've, I've crossed the line. I've committed some sin that Jesus can't do. I'm sure Peter's feeling that way and the angel wants him to know there's grace for you and hope for you. He says, there you will see him just as he told you. He's going to be there, and it's time to start the mission. And the mission from God is simply this. We're going to, he says, go and take on this mission. We have a mission from God. Now, what's going to happen is he tells the ladies to go. And verse 8 is one of the most disturbing endings to a story, and people have been fighting over this for years. In some of your Bibles, it might have an extra ending that people have added on to this because they just couldn't understand. Some people think there was an ending that was lost because it ends this way. Verse 8 is very clear. He says, and what did the ladies do? They got excited and went out and told everybody about Jesus and everything went great. And No, it says they went out and fled. 
ah, I get to see that. Okay, running and screaming. It does say they were seized, okay, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. That's the end of the story. Okay? So I'll go home. Now, there's been all kinds of arguments over the years. Why does, why does Mark end the, this this way? Was he, was he caught at the end? Did he all of a sudden run out of ink? Did he, you know, you know whatever? Okay, what we need to understand, first of all, is that seeing an angel, I think we all, I mean, we've all seen the, I think the new show is God Friended Me, right? Where there's angels and there's other shows where angels come in and talk to people. And usually when the angel comes in, everybody's like, oh, this is so wonderful. Usually when people see angels in the Bible, they go screaming. All right? It's a terrifying incident, just for the record. And even if you look through, and I didn't put all these in there, but in Mark 4.41, the disciples were filled with great fear after Jesus called, calmed the storm. In Mark 5, when Jesus uh, healed a demon-possessed man, everybody was afraid. Mark 5.33 says, but the woman who was healed from the issue of blood, she was afraid. When Jesus was walking on water, they saw him, and they were terrified okay then the transfiguration when jesus was transfigured and was wearing the white that could not be as like the bleach what happened they were terrified this is a natural reaction to what is going on and i think one of the reasons that jesus wants or mark wants us to know this is to let us know that other people have been scared too to share their faith Okay, here are the ladies that saw Jesus face to face and they were scared. If you feel scared today to go and do the mission that God has called you to do, understand the first people that got the mission were scared also. They didn't know what to do and they went out and didn't tell anyone. Now we know because we're the readers and everybody else who is reading this is sitting there going, yeah, but we found out what happened. We're all sitting here. We know that somehow some of the word got out. It wasn't like they messed up completely. How did it did get out? But Mark wants us to know that we need to be challenged just like them. The, the resurrection did not turn these ladies into the greatest evangelists that are perfect and never have any sense of fear and never have anything that goes wrong in their life. They're people just like us. And the message got out. So how did it get out? It's like we need to, have you ever read something and it's like to be continued? Back to the Future 2 drove me crazy. Just, just a little side note. Back to the Future 2 was one of those movies that they made just to get you to watch Back to the Future 3. For all the people that are there, you're watching the movie, they just stop and they're like, yeah, in a year we'll tell you how this ends. Like, what? And that's the way it kind of feels at, on this, okay? Just a little side note. You don't have to watch the movies. Okay, but you need to go on. And in fact, what happens after this, some people think, and if you see in the other Gospels, they give stories of Jesus appearing to people. And when he appears to people, it almost seems like everything's going to be okay, everything's great, he gives them the Great Commission. Where do we see the church in Acts chapter 1? Sitting in Jerusalem going, um, okay. And Jesus goes up into heaven. When the disciples see him go up into heaven, what are they doing? Is he going to come back? What's going on? What are we supposed to do? It doesn't change. 
I want you to know, and this leads exactly in what we're going with right now, nothing changed for the church as far as their witness until Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and then you will become my witnesses. Peter, who was not able to testify to a slave girl who had no power over him, all of a sudden stands up in the middle of Jerusalem, preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. That's not because of the story of the resurrection. That is because the Holy Spirit came in and empowered him. The resurrection is the story that we proclaim. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to proclaim it. It tells us that we are weak, we are in need of power, and the only power we're going to get is from the Holy Spirit. It leaves us hanging. Why didn't they do it? On their own, they were not capable of doing it. And Jesus knew the disciples were not capable of doing it. He knows that us as a church in Bemidji are not capable of bringing the gospel message to other people. He knows that we need the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We need that power. There, and we need to understand the greatest news that we can have, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the grace of God that we receive, that we have been forgiven, is only going to happen when we have the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to take it. Why don't you stand with me right now? For our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that the same Jesus who was crucified, who rose from the dead and commissioned his disciples and commissioned us to tell people about his resurrection, his crucifixion, he wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to say, I took your sins on the cross. I took them for you so that you can be forgiven. I took them on them so you can be forgiven. I also rose from the dead to conquer death and hell. And this is a fact. He did this for you. He did this so that that message could come to every single person because he does not want anyone to be lost without Jesus. He does not want anybody to die in their sins. He does not want you to feel guilty today for your sins because it says in the Bible that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person in this room who has not sinned. You say, well, I have a neighbor that seems really good. And trust me, they have sinned. And they are sitting on their own guilt and they cannot be forgiven because nobody else can forgive us except for God. Nobody can take away the guilt of our sin. He did it on the cross and he has risen and he is alive today. All right? So if you're here and you need to make that commitment to Jesus Christ, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. Otherwise, I want you to take that thing at the end here where it says we have a mission. We have a mission, and that is to take the gospel message to our friends, to our neighbors, to people that are sitting like the disciples, or think about Peter, People that are thinking, my life is over. I have no hope. And the, Jesus is telling us, take the gospel message to them. And yes, it's okay to feel scared because these ladies, remember them? They felt scared. And they were in front of an angel. And they felt scared. But look to me. Look to the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can go and bring that gospel message to other people. You can bring that to them. And they can be transformed by the power of God.
we have that message today. So if you're here, you've never accepted it, maybe you're struggling with the grace of God, struggling with the fact that, you know what? I'm not good enough to be saved. Guess what? I'm not either. So we can have a club called the church. None of us are good enough to be saved. But we receive the grace of God. And then we have the mission to go and bring it to other people. So let's bring that mission to other people. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you, God, that you have carried the message, God. You carried a group of disciples, God, that seem to us, God, so thick sometimes and just don't seem to get it. But then we think of ourselves and we think, oh yeah, like us. And we think, God, without you constantly coming after us, without you constantly showing us the way, without you sending us your Holy Spirit, we have no hope without you, God. You gave the good news. You died on the cross and you rose from the dead. The greatest news we can ever have. Now, God, let us bring this message to others. Let us accept your grace, God, in our lives. And when we fail, God, when we, when we let you down, let us understand, God, that there is grace and forgiveness. God, when we are too scared, let us know that there is power from you to move on. We thank you, God, as we celebrate Easter today. And God, just help us carry on this message to the people of Bemidji, God, that are seeking a way and a hope that only can come from you. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.